So if you had to start from zero again, but you have the knowledge of what you have now, zero, but you start ground zero and you went, shit, I, I, I have to build what, and you know, and knowing now like algorithms change to what, it, you know, from different to what it was three years ago, a uh, lot more users now, a lot more people trying to game the system. Uh, what would you do? Hey everybody, my name is Andrew Tran. I'm a marketing branding strategist. I help organizations, their teams, their team leaders deliver and execute on the challenges they're facing from marketing campaigns to market entry activity all the way through to strategy and planning. If you want to hit me up, check out my website. It's www.andrewtran.asia. You can find out a little bit more about me. You can book time with me. But until then, let's get on with the show. My next guest today is Thomas Elliott. He is a visual content expert, an artist, a filmmaker, creative director, and influencer with over 96,000 followers on LinkedIn. He's from Melbourne, Australia, but over the last few years, he's been working out of Hong Kong as creative director for APV, which is a video production and creative agency with clients including JP Morgan, KPMG, Disney, Red Bull, Shangri-La, HSBC, Alibaba, Cathay Pacific, and many more. As a creative expert and visual storyteller, we dive straight into content marketing and personal branding and how he was able to build that 96,000 follower mark on his LinkedIn profile. He also shares tips around how to build your personal branding through visual content storytelling. We also talked about COVID, how brands are facing this challenge to still maintain relevancy, to their audience while still building a narrative to either sell their products or services. Um, but also, we also talked about his career. Uh, we also talked about like various other tips um, in terms of storytelling, in terms of what to do, how to do it. But look, it's a long episode, but it's jammed, packed, full of tips and ideas that hopefully you can take back to your workplace uh, and adapt it for yourself as well. So without further ado, give it up for Thomas Elliott. Thomas, what's going on? Hey man, how you doing? It's good time. It's good to chat to you this morning. Yeah, Hope thank you're you. Well. Yeah, I'm I'm well. I'm well. Uh, in a new apartment now. Uh, so mm. for anyone that's watching, or anyone that's listening, actually, it's it's a new background. It's a new background drop as well. It, so it is. Yeah, I can see you've really got a little bit of decoration there. A little, little bit of going on. That's nice. It's nice. Yeah. I like it. Yep. 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 Exactly. Exactly. But look, um, thank you so so much for anyone that uh is joined in like for the very very first time um and getting to know you as well like we're gonna dive deep into your career um content marketing in the visual kind of sense and also we're gonna we're gonna talk about your 90,000 96,000 LinkedIn followers I want I want to know how you how you got through to that as well and I think I think when we spoke a little bit about it before you had some really good tips around it so first and foremost for anyone that is um, new to you and your work, uh, like what have you been up to? How'd you get into the space over the last like few years? Um, it's an interesting question. I mean, I've, I've been in visual content for a very long time. So, uh, you know, I, I'm from Australia originally. I actually grew up in Tasmania, you know, a small island down the bottom of Australia. Um, where filmmaking is certainly not, you know, like a career that people knowingly or sanely go into. Um, you know, it's certainly something that uh, when, I, when I was starting out, you know, if you told people I was going to make videos, I think people would probably look at you like you were crazy. Um, but I got into this, I mean, I was just, you know, from a young age, I really liked movies, I really liked TV shows, uh, I liked advertising, 
Um, you know, I, I kind of blame my parents. They, they obviously, you know, uh, allowed me to watch a lot of great cinema growing up and that sort of, you know, became a thing when you become aware of the idea that people make visual content um, and you make that connection, you go, oh, wow, somebody actually gets paid to do that. Wow, I want to do that. That seems like a really great job. Um, and I think it just started from there. So obviously I went to film school in, in, in Melbourne. I went to the VCA, which at the time was one of the you know, two great film schools in Australia. Um, and from that, I, I kind of immediately left and went straight into advertising, um, mostly TV commercials when I firstly started. Um, you know, and I actually started in a cinematography background. So I did lighting and camera work um, because you know, I, I sort of majored in that because I felt like when I left film school, unlike the 12 other people who you know, wanted to go and be a director, I thought, no, I want to get a job when I leave. And if I've had this unique set of skills and I can do lighting and camera work, I'll, I'll go straight into working. So I kind of did that, I did you know, music videos, I did TV commercials, um, you know, advertising companies and production companies soon realized that I had a unique set of skills that I, you know, I, I could shoot things, but I could also write things, um, you know, I could produce, I could you know, manage my own budgets. Um, and obviously, you know, a, a key element in all of this was I was really interested in storytelling and I was really interested in, you know, the strategy behind how brands communicate their stories to different audiences. And then, you know, like with, with a lot of careers, I think, you know, my career is based around persistence, consistency and being in the right place at the right time. Um, so obviously video went through an interesting transition from where it went from being a really uh, expensive proposition, you know, people only did video to do ads um, and then, you know, when online became this experience, you know, obviously people started toying with the idea of creating content for online. Um, when I was there at that right time when, you know, I could educate not just clients but also agencies and, and uh, production companies around the idea that making content for online didn't just have to be recreating the commercial experience for online. It could be creating something different. It could be creating a story specifically for a platform. Um, it could be creating content that can actually work across a series of platforms. Um, and it can be unique and it can be far more targeted. Um, so, you know, I, I think I, I kind of was in that space at the right time. Um, and obviously worked across a lot of different agencies and production companies in Australia. And now I'm, I'm obviously here in Hong Kong doing pretty much the same thing, um, but in, a, in another country. So yeah, it's good. Nice. Okay. So you, you touched on a couple of really cool points. Uh, you, you touched on storytelling. You also touched on mm -hmm. kind of multi-platform uh, and, and be able yeah. to convey that story as well. And uh, like, what have you kind of seen with regards to the evolution around storytelling and, and multi-platform kind of distribution? Uh, I think, you know, it's an interesting, space at the moment i think in, in some regards it, well it was an interesting space until global events changed and now it's becoming an interesting space again now that people are adapting to that space um i think you know the thing is like i think over time brands have realized obviously that storytelling is very important um and it's a very important way to communicate to audiences i think in some regards they always knew this um and in some regards it, it was sort of like you know we develop an art form to a point where it's really great in one medium and then you know everything changes again and we lose it for a while and then we work out how to i mean everything in this kind of storytelling realm is, is cyclical i mean you know for a certain point of view i think you know the craft of television commercials at the peak of sort of you know tv as a format was amazing um, and the storytelling that you saw there and the way that we were able to communicate stories in 30 seconds or 15 seconds 
um, were really amazing. I think when we when we went online, it was you know one of those setbacks where people kind of had to again go, how do we tell stories in this medium? How do we re-engage audiences? It's not the same because the experience of watching something online or on your phone is not the same as watching it on TV. TV, you're pretty much a captive audience. You have to watch the ads because you're watching the TV show. Um, obviously, when you're online, it becomes a smarter game because you want people to actually enjoy the experience of watching what you're promoting to them so that they will actually continue watching. I mean, they, they have the choice to watch your content. So when people have a choice, the content has to be good and the storytelling has to be good. So I think that becomes more and more important for brands. And, and some brands are obviously very good at that. Um, they understand what their story is. They understand how, how to communicate that to their clients. I think a lot of other brands struggle with it because they they are probably too committed to function or form. So, you know, they maybe have too many selling points they want to talk about um, in a piece of content and they can't kind of find a way to package that into something that is very palatable for an audience to digest. Um, so that's a challenge. Uh, I think, you know, multi-platform is one of those things that I think, you know, again, uh, you know, we, we accept now that people watch content on multiple devices at the same time. I mean, that is, and it's not just generationally more. I know when I talk to my parents, they have, you know, this phone going, they have, you know, the internet going on their computer, they maybe have a TV going in the background. Um, we've all become accustomed to the idea of watching multiple content at the same time. So storytelling has to evolve to, to encompass that and to, in a way, tell stories more dynamically across multiple channels at the same time. And I think that that's, that's the exciting space that we're going into now. I think obviously with, you know, the fact that you can evolve stories across different channels. And obviously you, the story, you know, in a way doesn't have to be the same because you're talking to different people and the way, you know, I mean, every audience has its own demographic and a lot of people obviously get obsessed with demographics. But I think one of the things that people miss out on is also understanding the physiographics of the audience, you know, um, how mobile they are, how, how, you know, how they can, are they, you know, like living here in Hong Kong, you know, on my journey to work, every morning I see people who are digesting content on their phones on the train um, they may have two devices going at once um, and you know so they're consuming that content on the go so if I'm thinking about that audience I've got to design stories that you know maybe don't have great sound maybe they're driven more by visuals because they're going to be in noisy environments um, you know they're going to be maybe I need to design a story that's going to work really well as somebody moves their hand around um, because that's the way that they they're going to view my story so I think in, in that way, when we think about, you know, those elements of the audience, and, and that's obviously where story comes from in the end, you know, the story is designed for an audience. So understanding that audience and trying to then position that story so it's most successful for them is really what storytelling is about. That's a great way to put it. I like how you, how you mentioned the fact that with, uh, with storytelling, it's, it's about the audience, but it's not, it's going beyond the, the, you know, the demographic data and looking at like the, you know, the physical attributes of the way of which consumers consume, like how do they consume via, you know, the portrait mode versus the landscape mode? Do they consume, you know, at a specific landscape um, area or, or landmark area? Um, how does that affect, you know, the way they consume? Are there other little elements that may affect the consumption? Like, you know, other screens are going on, flickering lights that are happening. So there's considerations with regards to that as a marketer. So I think, I think you're totally right. Like when it comes to content marketing, there's so many things or visual storytelling, there's so many things that are going on at the moment. It's, it's gone are the days where the, the journey was, was pretty linear. 
it's it's mm. now like it's it's now like a figure of eight where they kind of zoom in and out uh, coming through, and now like you know we, we we've got COVID happening at the moment, and and you're talking about like you know the the challenges you already presented already like with, with regards to understanding your audience, understanding you know the way the behavioral patterns uh, and and how they consume that particular content. But I based on on you know what you've experience so far with COVID, like what are you seeing some of the challenges uh, that brands kind of face when it comes to potentially telling that story in, in, a, in a way that still resonates and still creates that, that bond uh, with their consumers? I think the interesting thing for COVID for everybody, and you know, regardless of whether you're telling visual stories or whether you're doing anything in, in marketing, is trying to accept that obviously you know, this event is changing a lot of things in the way that we behave. And I think now, you know, a, you know, a lot of people were talking about when things go back to normal. And I think that, you know, it's worth accepting that that's never really going to be the case. There will be obviously a level of normal that you resume to, but I think what we need to kind of get our minds around is that there is, you know, a whole world in front of us and the whole world behind us. Um, and COVID has really, I think, helped define that for a lot of brands because now you're looking at it and you sit there going, well, you know, I, I, my whole marketing plan for 2020 is just, you know, it's, it's out the window. Um, I've got to, I've got to, you know, adapt. I've got to do something else. Um, I think the challenge for a lot of brands is there've been a lot of people who wanted to sit and wait and see what happens. Um, I think passivity is always a terrible position to be in um, from a brand point of view because your audience doesn't stop, even if this is going on and affecting them. Your audience doesn't stop. They have things going on in their lives. They still need stuff from you. Um, so I think what it becomes about is trying to, you know, in a sensitive and delicate way position a story to them that resonates them resonates with them around the kind of context and the environment they're in. And that's obviously a challenge for some brands is to try and work out how to do that without it seeming opportunistic, um, you know, or, you know, inappropriate. Um, but I think good brands are doing it well. And, you know, I think there are obviously a lot of opportunities in this situation in that a lot more people are at home. Um, a lot more people have their devices on. A lot more people are looking to watch content. I mean, if you just look at the numbers of how Netflix has gone um, through, you know, this, this whole situation, because people can't go out. They are limited to what they can do. Um, they need to watch more things to obviously stay stimulated. So I think smart brands who can think of stories that actually take advantage of, you know, an opportunity. And, you know, and, and that's maybe a harsh way to look at things, but in, in any situation, whatever goes on in the world, there is always an opportunity. And instead of looking at this as a crisis or looking at this as you know, a problem, people should be looking at it as a solution and an opportunity and how they can reposition themselves to that opportunity. Um, and I think, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, so many brands have learned so much from, from what has happened in the last six months. I mean, obviously we've realized now that you know, we can have communication globally via video from Zoom to Teams to whatever you know, device you're using to communicate. Um, you know, people can work from home and it's fine. And, you know, the office doesn't stop. The world doesn't stop. Things keep moving. Um, so, yeah, I think at this time at the moment, what's really important for brands to consider is that it's still important to talk to your audience. It's still important to get out there and get messaging to them. Um, if, if anything, it's more important than it has been um, before. And I think it's, it also presents a great opportunity for you to maybe position a more human face to your brand. Um, and again, that's, that's a delicate area to get into because you don't want to do it in a way where, you know, it comes off as opportunistic or, or 
schmaltz or gross. Um, you want to kind of find a way of obviously positioning your human story to your audience that you know feels real, it feels authentic, it feels genuine. And I think we've seen some some great examples of that. And I think also some great examples where people have used the kind of technology we're using today to build those stories and share them with their audience. Um, and obviously, you know, doing it in a more lo-fi way feels very real, feels very authentic. Um, and people, you know, obviously respect that. I think that's important. Yeah, you mentioned a good point about kind of micro-messaging uh, and, and getting that, like, still maintaining the connection between a brand and audience, but in a way that's, that's a bit more, like, less planned. Well, sorry, mm -hmm. no one say planned. Less polished uh, than usual because you, you still want to present uh, you know, a human ability, so a humanization of a brand itself. Um, and to enable the brand to, to be able to well, enable a, a, an audience to still follow the journey, uh, but still get the message across, whether or not it's, it's a actionable kind of, you know, let's, you know, we've got sales happening, we, you know, we've got prices to, to kind of slash, whatever, or, you know, we're trying to tell a story that enables a, a, you know, a company to, to kind of go up to a particular echelon in terms of its experience or, or in terms of its uh, prestige to some degree, yeah. which is really cool. I mean, I think even, you know, internal communications has obviously been really important during this time because people have been fragmented. They're outside of the office. They're not in, you know, usual regular patterns of communication. I think, you know, a lot of brands have started to realise maybe how weak their internal communications offering has been up until this point because this has really made them think about that, really made them think about how important it is you know, to make employees feel valued at times like this. And also to just to communicate what's going on to employees because things are changing very, very rapidly depending on what industry you're in. Um, you know, obviously if you're in hospitality or one of those industries that's been massively affected by this globally, um, you know, or if you're in tourism, um, communicating with your team members is so important and trying to find ways to keep them engaged through storytelling. Um, and, you know, some brands are doing that very well. They're creating, you know, whole series you know that they're making internally that has been released you know via internal platforms that nobody will ever see because it's not you know going to be publicly available content um but you know I, I know just from you know the point of view of a creator who's working on that kind of content there is lots of that content being made and some of it is really great and it's really interesting and it's really you know amazing to see an insight into brands that are being courageous and going you know what our important our employees are important to us um, their stories right now are, are important. Let's share those stories. Let's, you know, let's put some dollars behind it if we need to. Um, if not, if there's a great way of doing it or sharing a story using technology that is not expensive, let's do that. Um, and, you know, and I think also we've realised, you know, through this global event, that communication is just so important. Um, you know, the industry of telling stories to people. I mean, this event is going to change that for, <laughs> for generations to come, probably. Um, and that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's 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 so right. You know, everyone's coined like business as unusual, uh, more so than anything uh, coming through. But you, you kind of touched on a really cool point, uh, which which I wanted to ask you about, which was around, you know, who you're kind of who the people that you see are creating really great content from a content marketing point of view um, for brands at the moment. So I just wanted to ask you that, like, yeah, who do you kind of see at the moment that's happening? Um, I mean, there, I watch, like, I'm a phenomenal consumer of content, um, you know, of all kinds. Uh, you know, I, I voraciously read 
I watch. Um, you know, and I, I like a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, we've talked a lot about LinkedIn is obviously a platform that I'm I'm really invested in, have been for a very long time. Uh, you know, I really enjoy if we're talking about sort of personal branding, the content that you know people like Goldie Chan puts out on a daily basis. I think is amazing. I mean, obviously, she's built that into a very successful way of being able to kind of translate that into then doing courses and presentations and workshops. Um, and you know, and, and I think the stuff that she puts out is good, and it's good for a reason, and people enjoy that. I mean, String, who you've obviously had on and you've talked to, I enjoy her content from a personal branding point of view. Um, if I'm talking about businesses in my space that do it really well, I like you know Visual Domain from Australia. Do really, really good, strong um, content marketing for their brand. Um, I think in terms of global brands that I like, you know, I think Nike, as we discussed before, um, you know. I mean, I think since they kind of went on this arc of um, redefining their brand um, when they did the Colin Copernic spot, um, you know, last year, I think that they've really kind of gone into a really great space. And obviously, for me, I felt like Nike has always been a really strong brand, but I felt like it didn't mean what it meant to me when I was a kid. And it seems very sacrilegious because I'm wearing, you know, Adidas. <laughs> but, you know, I, I kind of felt like in a way they've kind of found their mojo again and the stories that they're telling online the stories that they're telling you know on tv the stories that they're telling on digital and other media are fantastic and i think they're one of those brands that has really grasped the idea of you know um a story doesn't have to be 30 seconds um, a story can be as long or as short as it needs to be i mean nike has some great long-form content um, that people are watching and you look at the view counts and you look at the comments and you look at all the metrics on it and you go, people are engaging with that content. They've found a way to tell a really relevant story to their audience. Um, they do really great short form content. You know, their 30 second and 15 second stuff is still amazing. Um, I think they've kind of left, you know, the sort of eight second uh, formats and other stuff that people have become really excited about in the last couple of years behind, probably sensibly, because I don't think they really, other than for sort of, you know, reach and frequency, I don't think they do much. Um, so I think, you know, I think that they, they, for me, are still a brand that I, I love watching. I love watching their content. Um, you know, I love seeing what they're doing. And I, I think I, I love seeing how they connect with their audience. And that's what's really, you know, in the end, for me, that's what content is all about. If it's not connecting to an audience, if it's not making an audience think or, or you know, react, and whether that's positive or negatively. I mean, you know, when we talk about the Nike spot, I mean, you know, the fact that, when that spot initially launched, you know, share prices wiped off like a billion dollars or something off the valuation of Nike, but then within, you know, two, three weeks, it had gone up two, three billion. Um, so you kind of sit there and go, yeah, that was a bold choice. And I feel like, you know, for me, the brands that, that are really great in the online space are the brands that are bold, who are prepared to, you know, do things that maybe, you know, challenge their audience. Um, you know, I mean, probably, the worst thing in the content space is people that just play it safe and just do the same thing over and over again, hoping for the same result, because ultimately that's just a school of diminishing returns. You know, people, you know, I mean, yes, people like safe, people like vanilla ice cream, but occasionally people want to try something different. And if you can't offer them, you know, Neapolitana or something else, um, you know, people get a little bit bored. That's what happens. Yeah, I, I know it, it really depends on the industry as well. Uh, some industries are so risk averse, uh, you know, like take for instance, like banking and finance, uh, unless you're one of the new players that are all digital and just embracing digital, like some of the traditional 
banking firms or banking organizations, like they, they go back to their core. And, and I think, you know, that's fine. I guess it, it just allows other players to really kind of test it out. And then for them, they can kind of see, all right, well, yes, we're not first mover advantage, but we can see where this direction is going. Cool. We've got the resources now. Let's pump it out. So, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's really I good. Mean, I, think, I think even with banks and insurance companies, while they, they may seem, you know, risk adverse because that's generally the nature of their business, um, you know, they're obviously designed to be fairly risk adverse because their, their business model is all around managing risk. I think even within their own um, little areas, you know, they do find innovation and they do find ways of doing things differently. I think particularly in the insurance space, I mean, you know, here in Hong Kong, I've seen a lot of content in the last 12 months where you go, okay, that's an innovative way to reposition insurance to me. Yes, I, I see what you're doing there. Um, and I think obviously a lot of those industries are going through the same humanization process um, that other industries have had to go through where you know, being more authentic, being more genuine, using less complex language um, is really important for their audience. And I think probably, while it's easy for us to write them off and say, oh yeah, you know, they, they, do, they do dull content. I think some of them are probably realizing that there is a space for them to do more. Um, and while it may not ever get to the level of, you know, it won't be a, a Nike commercial or it won't be, you know, some amazing kind of Red Bull guy jumping out of a, you know, space shuttle and flying down to earth kind of thing um you know within their own space they can still find ways to innovate do something different do something exciting um for their audience and you know i think again it's important in that sort of context to understand that maybe the audience threshold or audience expectation of what they're going to offer them is pretty low because most of the you know most of the time the audience expects from an insurance company or a bank that they're going to get you know, a fairly dry piece of communication or something that tries to turn something really dry and dull into something mildly palatable. So whenever they do anything outside of that space, it gets recognised and it gets recognised very quickly because the audience goes, wow, you, you surprised me. You did something I didn't expect. Um, and I think audiences want that once in a while. While there is, you know, like I said, there is, you know, a, a comfort in the familiar. We all like the idea that occasionally, you know, things can be spiced up a little for us and be a little bit interesting. Nice. Uh, that's a really good way to put it. I know, yeah, you, you're right in the sense that, uh, you know, companies like big firms, uh, they do have innovation hubs uh, for those particular reasons uh, to, to look at. So it's not all, it's not all about like the uh, lovely doubly kind of stuff like they are willing to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. But I, I want to move on because I, like, I know there's a heaps of people out there that, you know, everyone's now on digital, we're all digitized, we're all looking at new ways to kind of personally brand ourselves better. LinkedIn, everyone's gravitating towards LinkedIn. You see Gary Vee talk about it like a few years ago and now everyone's trying to catch on to it. Um, mate, I want to talk about how you got to 96,000 people. Yeah. So tell us your journey. How did, that, uh, how did it all start? Well, so I, I actually had a lot of faith in LinkedIn from the start. And I think it was one of those interesting things when the platform launched, you know, a lot of people viewed it as, oh, this is, what is this? It's just a place to put your resume online and, and maybe connect with recruiters. And, and I never saw it as that. I saw it as, a, as very much a platform where you could share um, your kind of personal journey and what you're doing in your career with other people who are interested in, yes, some of them might be recruiters, but there were plenty of people, even in the initial days of the platform, 
who are not recruiters, um, who are there, who are just interested to see what other people in the industry are doing, or what other people in industries associated with their industry are doing. Um, so I think, you know, I was, I was very early adopted of the platform. Um, but like a lot of people, I was sort of, you know, an infrequent user of it until I sort of realized the power of the platform to tell a lot of different kinds of stories. Um, and so, you know, for me, a large part of that was, you know, I, I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of things that I like to do. Um, writing is one of them. So, I, you know, I use LinkedIn as an opportunity to write 120 something articles um, that you can find on my profile about various things that I was interested in. Um, you know, and, and various, I guess, you know, now we use the term that I hate, thought leadership, um, you know, but in a way that's what it is, right? It's you sharing your opinion and other people either agreeing or disagreeing with it. And that's part of the fun of being in a digital platform. Um, so I think, you know, my journey started with that, you know, when I would share articles and I would share posts and I would increase my frequency and I would do other things. But, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, what people don't understand about the platform is it's really about engagement. I mean, that's what LinkedIn now, I mean, certainly since they changed the algorithm, certainly since they started preferencing certain types of content, um, it's really an engagement platform. And, you know, when people say to me, oh, I'm not getting a lot of engagement on LinkedIn, then my response often back to them is, well, you're not engaging on LinkedIn. I mean, the stuff that you're putting out there, and, and even then, you know, like I had somebody the other day say to me, oh, well, I only got like 12 comments on my post. And I go, okay, great. Did you reply to any of those comments? No. Well, what are you expecting? Again, this is, you know, I mean, this is just one-on-one social media. If you want to get a response from people, engage with them. Um, if somebody, you know, makes a comment on, on something that you post, reply, thanks, great. Um, you know, maybe even ask another question that then gets them to kind of talk further. You'll then find other people will probably chip in because they're waiting for that opportunity. But if you don't create it for them, they're just never going to get there. Um, and so I think, you know, LinkedIn is, is for me one of those powerful platforms that, if you engage with other people, if you allow people to engage with your content and then you, you, know, you reciprocate that engagement, you find that you get a lot of traction through the platform. And the people who you know, are complaining about how they're not getting much traction from LinkedIn are the people who are sitting there going, well, I put out my article last week and nobody liked it or commented on it. Or, okay, well, then what have you done to reposition that, that article in people's thinking? Maybe you shared it at the wrong time. Maybe you... You know, I mean, people often don't accept that, you know, in this kind of world we live in where you're scrolling like this, you know, sometimes you miss things of interest because there's something else that catches your eye at that point and you read it. Um, sometimes you're lucky and you go back and you find something else in the feed. You know, that's become part of my viewing habit is I often scroll back through the feed later in the day to see if there was something that I missed and go, oh, okay, yeah, no, that's actually interesting. Interesting, you know, Andrew has posted something that I, I didn't read earlier. Cool, I'll have a look at that, um, you know, later. I mean, that's just part of how those platforms work. So for me, you know, reaching 96,000 followers or whatever it is, I mean, a large part of that was connecting with people. Um, you know, I think when I started, I saw LinkedIn as a great opportunity to network. Um, I saw it as a great opportunity to build that network and to build, you know, a high value network. Um, so obviously, you know, I targeted people that A, I either aspired to working with, I was working with, I wanted to work with in the future, um, I felt had something to offer me or who I felt had a conversation of interest that I wanted to be part of. Um, and, you know, when you build those connections, obviously you build followings because then you're in, you know, their second degree connections and whatever else and other people find your content through them. Um, and I think it just kind of ballooned from there to a point where it is 
where it is today. And, and I think part of that journey for me has been, you know, I'm consistently on the platform. You know, I'm, I'm there, I turn up every day, every week. Uh, you know, I post stuff, I share stuff. Um, you know, and I share good and bad. Sometimes, you know, there are, and I think that's part of the experience of what LinkedIn is now, is that you can share your success, but you can also talk about things that didn't work. Um, and you can get opinions from people about why it didn't work. And that's great. Um, and I think that's one of the really valid things about LinkedIn that makes it such an exciting platform. Nice. And you said like, you know, you, uh, you publish over 120 articles, you go through the engagement. Could you kind of recall back as to when that kind of hockey stick type of growth kicked in? Was it say in the last like year or two or? No, I think it was more like two years ago or two or three years ago. So, I mean, I was part of Power Profile in 2018 when I first moved to Hong Kong. Um, and I think around that time, I mean, I was consistently publishing, you know, a lot of articles and posts, uh, you know, every day. So I think like at least every week I would post a long form article and every day I would make a post. And, you know, and then obviously I also went through a, a period where, you know, I was sharing daily video every day um, and all these kind of things obviously build and attract an audience because, you know, LinkedIn is a platform where people are looking for information. Um, you know, it, it's become in a lot of ways like, you know, if I want to find out how my toaster works, I go to Google. If I want to find out how to do video marketing or something else, I go to LinkedIn. I mean, that's, that's how it works, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think that that search for information is ravenous. And if you can feed it with stuff consistently that is of a high quality that people find interesting and you are, you know, not, you know, I think, again, if you make yourself accessible, um, and, you know, available to answer people's questions, um, then it works for you. You know, I mean, that's, that's obviously what people want, is people want to engage with people. And if they find something from me that is interesting, they want to know more, they want to be able to reach out to you and ask more. And so you have to be that approachable person. I think some people are not comfortable with that because they are, you know, by their very nature, just not happy to either give information or, you know, they feel that there is something preventing them from doing that. I mean, some people are just very shy and, you know, don't, don't, not, not very outgoing, but, you know, some people can find that comfort space in talking online and, you know, that's where it is. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes point. Um, like I want to also, I, I ask this question a lot to, to everyone, right? So if you had to start from zero again, but you have the knowledge of what you have now, zero, but you start ground zero and you went, shit I, I i have to build what and you know and knowing now like algorithms changed to what it, you know from different to what it was three years ago uh, a lot more users now a lot more people trying to game the system uh what would you do uh i would do more um so i think part of it is you know i i, I think probably what i would do now is i mean the challenge is, is particularly if you get into doing daily content is obviously getting to a point where you can systemize that daily content so you can feed it on a way but still make it feel relevant so probably if i was going to start again now i would probably you know put a team together even though i'm a one person i would have a team together and i would sit down and go okay uh, i'm going to plan out my content plan for you know the next three months in advance uh, i'm going to create you know a whole bunch of very relevant targeted content that i know is going to be the kind of you know rich targetable stuff that 
people in the feed are going to look for. You know, I would do my research on that. If I was starting completely from scratch, um, you know, I would do my research on that and go, okay, great. This is what I know people are going to look for. I would create some video content around that. I would make sure that it's not too long. Um, I would make sure that it's very targeted with just one message per video. Um, I would support that content, obviously, through... I mean, I still think there is value in articles. There are a lot of people who tell you that there is not. Um, I don't think that's true simply because I know that my article numbers just go up and up and up and up and up um, all the time because people find them again. Um, so, you know, I Do you reckon it comes down to length? Um, for articles? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, I think it's the thing, like, for me, it all comes down to the comfortable read I can do while I'm probably, like, you know, I'm in a co-working space here. So for me, often, you know, a LinkedIn article is something I can read when I walk down the hallway to our office at the end of the time when I'm, you know, maybe going from the kitchen to the office and I want something to read. That's like a comfortable reading distance to me, right? If I have to, like, do a lap around the office, it's too long. Um, so, you know, I, and I think that's the way you need to think about articles, right, is that often people are checking into LinkedIn through the day while they're doing other things. They may want to read your article, but again, if it's too long, they may go, okay, I'm going to have to read that later. And then, you know, as we often find, is life gets in the way. I mean, I've got a, a two-year-old now. When I come home, I can't be sitting here reading LinkedIn articles. I've got to, you know, change nappies and, and feed the baby and, and I hope that I can get her to sleep so I can go to sleep. You know, life, life goes on, right? So, um, so I think in a way, yeah, it is designing your pieces of content, knowing, you know, that your audience probably has similar timeframes and habits to you in some regards. Um, so using what you know to, you know, obviously make that, that content as effective as possible for the audience. Yep. So yeah, and I would still, you know, I would obviously, part of that strategy would also be finding people who I know are gonna help amplify my story by engaging with them and obviously getting them hooked on what I'm doing. Um, you know, like I, if you look at anything I post, there are, you know, I, I have a group of very, very loyal people who read everything that I publish, who make comments all the time, and I'm very grateful for those people. And I'm very grateful for their support, and I thank them all the time because they're amazing. Um, but, you know, they're people who I have found or who found me, and we've connected, and we find that we have similar tastes and interests. So, again, I think that's part of your plan, right, is if you want to get your content known, is finding those people who will, you know, be your best voices in supporting your story. Um, and whose journey is also interesting to you because I think that's that's also important. It is a reciprocal approach, right? I mean, there's no point. I don't like following people who I don't find interesting just for the sake of following them. Um, I mean, what's the point in that? I mean, you know, I know a lot of people really love Gary Vee. I, I don't. I really don't like Gary Vee. Um, I appreciate what Gary Vee is doing and I appreciate how successful Gary Vee is, but I just find, like, every time he popped up in my... I, I ended up just removing him from my feed, I'll be honest. I got rid of Gary V simply because I, I couldn't handle the V-isms every day. And, you know, and, and some of it to me is just so brutally obvious. And like, while I know that people, sometimes they're looking for that and that's what they want, I'm not looking for that. So for me, you know, I just kind of went, I can tune out from that. You know, I've, I've watched enough of it to go, yep, he's doing really well. Yep, he's got his format down. Yes, people who love it, love it. I'm just not one of those people. And that's okay. Um, and I think that's the other thing too about social media is, is going, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay not to watch that anymore. I've, I've kind of, I felt like I've, I've discovered as much as I'm going to discover from it. I'm happy to turn it off and do something else. Um, right. Because life's too short, you know. There are too many other really great things that I'm, I am 
interested in listening to it. So, you know, I think that's, that's important. Yeah. And I hope I've answered your question. No, 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 you <laughs> have, you have, you have. Um, I, I have another question with regards to, to video, right? Everyone talks about video. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're a video expert creator. Yeah. When it comes to length, uh, you know, we talk about micro content, uh, you know, just before. Mm. And mm. with regards to length, like I know like, the general answer is yes, you know, you should try and create video that is relevant to your target audience. Um, but is there a general rule with regards to video length in your expert opinion? Look, I answer this question the same way every time. And, you know, it frustrates the hell out of some people, but I'm going to be honest with you, right? If the content is really good and you want to watch it, you'll watch it, right? So, you know, I'll sit through three and a half hours of the Avengers. You know, in fact, I don't know how long, like how many films were in that series, like four of them. And they all went for about three and a half hours and I watched all of them. Um, all the way through the end credits, because I'm one of those people that waits till that little scene at the end to find out what's going to happen next. Because um, I'm a nerd. Really where it's at. You know, I'll watch that, right? And you know, likewise with um, you know content that is on LinkedIn or YouTube or something else. If the content is really good and the story is really engaging, it does not matter how long it is. I will carve out the time to watch it. The problem is most people are not that engaging. Um, their story is not that good. Um, you know, a lot of people really, you know, they try and jam too many. You know, they're trying to sell, 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 which I think. A, stop trying to do that and try to find a better way of actually communicating what you want. I mean, that's, that's really important. But, you know, that, that's really what it is, right? Is that the story is not engaging enough. And if the story is not engaging enough, you're better off having a shorter impact where people can watch it, get to the point and go, okay, that's what you wanted to tell me. Great, I've got it. I'm going to move on. And I've moved on before you've bored me. Um, because there's nothing worse than feeling like the content was going to be really great because, you know, the post sold you with some sizzle, maybe there was a great title that captured your attention and you thought, great, I'm going to learn something. And then it's, you know, four minutes of some dry, boring person talking with a few slide show PowerPoint slides, like, oh, no. Um, I would, I would, there's so many other things I would rather do. Yeah. So, um, so kind of coming back, so I, I start from zero. I want to build, I want to be the next, like, 96,000 follower um, you know, you said have a team, uh, yep. you know, plan, do your planning, like plan out the next three months worth of content, um, spread that content out between like articles, videos, long form, short form, um, uh, imagery as well. Um, post often, uh, and, and like, what else, like, do you think, you know, I see, I see a lot of people try to do, like, try to game it by like adding in bits and pieces to, to, to their kind of profile, like adding in like yeah. expert this and that, like what, yeah. what else do you think uh, can work? Um, I think the other thing too is, is learning to repurpose and not feeling bad about it. Um, you know, because, you know, I, I talk about the hundreds of articles I've written. I mean, those hundred articles have been repurposed into shorter posts. They've been repurposed into video content. Um, I repurposed them into workshops. I've repurposed them into what, five books now um so you know there there is no shame in in recycling stuff that you you have used if you're designing it you know if you're redesigning it for another medium successfully um and and realizing that there is a whole other audience who won't engage with it in any other way um or who again may not have seen it when you posted it as an article so if you break it up into a series of posts they might see it because it's shorter and it's more 
equivalent to them. Um, if you make it into a video, yeah, great. If you create an infographic that, you know, there was a key point that was really interesting in your presentation that was a bit hard for people to grab. So you went, okay, I can simplify that into an infographic where people can just see it and go, oh, okay, cool. I get it. Great. Um, you know, don't feel bad about that. That's fine. That's totally something to do. I do it all the time. I have no shame, no yep. shame at all. In that. I, I repurpose, I, you know, I mean, part of the thing that I always talk about, you know, with, with brands is, you know, reworking, recirking, um, everything, you know, if something didn't work the first time, um, you know, okay, go back, sit there, have a look at it and go, what didn't work? Okay. How can I rework that asset to release it again? Um, so it has greater impact. I mean, that's, that's fundamental one-on-one -on -one something you should be doing because, you know, even if this thing, even if this piece of content doesn't create you a lot, you know, it doesn't cost you a lot of money to create, it still costs you time. Um, and anything that you spend time on has value. Yep. So therefore, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting the most value out of everything you're sharing. Otherwise, it's just foolishness. <laughs> yeah, and and I think I think when you know the tips that you kind of talk about, uh, you know, connecting with with people of relevance uh, that adds value to you, but you can add value back to them. Uh, the commonalities between like different industries and stuff. I think that really helps. I think, you know, one thing that I kind of see with, with some of my clients is, is that some of the CEOs, some of the leaders that we have here, they have incredible stories. They've come from absolutely nothing. They've had to go through adversity, uh, both, you know, from a, from a cultural perspective, but also from a professional perspective as well. And they should be sharing that. And the fact that they don't share and this is the perfect platform because it's LinkedIn, it's professional, it's all about empowerment, it's all about driving, creating value that will help you as a salesperson, as a leader, as a manager, as a content creator, uh, you know, as a programmer, whatever. But it's 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 those kind of CEOs that don't do it. And I'm just looking at them like, wow, like, you know, you need to speak to you need to speak to yourself. Uh, you know, I need I need to refer them to, to you or, or to string. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's also one of those things that sometimes, you know, and I agree with you because I meet these people all the time and, you know, and when I get to know them socially, some of the stories that you find about their life um, and you go, wow, you know, and, and even, you know, people who, who are currently CEOs who, you know, if you look at their, their you know, career path, you've gone, you've gone from there to there to there to there and now you're like the CEO of a major organisation. How does that happen? And they kind of tell you the story and you go, Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, I think the problem for a lot of them is, A, they're good at articulating that story in certain forums, but they don't really know how to do it on LinkedIn or they don't, you know, or they're worried about it coming off as self-serving because, you know, sometimes that is, you know, the downside of it is that sometimes you need an objective third party to do that story for you. Um, you know, and I do a lot of CEO interviews. I do a lot of, you know, I've interviewed everybody from, you know, plumbers to prime ministers. Um, and, you know, and a large part of that is I found that everybody that I've interviewed in my life has an interesting story. Um, they all have something to tell you of relevance. Um, the hard part for a lot of them is unpacking it and, and having, and, you know, interviewing somebody is a particular set of skills, um, particularly if you're going to do it through video. I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things, you know, for a lot of CEOs is finding somebody who, you know, is respectful of them, who makes them feel comfortable but is also not afraid to ask them tough questions and get the answers that they want and go back and go, no, 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 you're not telling me what I need to know, what I need is this. Um, and sometimes that's very hard, particularly if there's an internal comms team because the internal comms team might feel a little bit of pressure to 
he's got to like me, um, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't want to make him feel really uncomfortable. In that situation, often it's better to go to somebody like, you know, myself or an agency or a production company who can come in and be that person who can go, yep, you're hiring me because I'm that person. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you all the respect that you deserve. I'm going to, you know, unpack your story for you. I'm going to make you look really good while you do it. Um, but that, you know, sometimes that's just, you know, they need somebody else to help them do that. Um, and, you know, we I've, in this market alone, you know, APB, you know, the agency that I work for, we've seen a lot of success stories of CEOs who we've made video content around who've gone on from being, you know, a regional CEO to being a global CEO simply through sharing their story and sharing their story persuasively and actually building that image, not just, you know, within their own company, but, you know, within their own industry. And, you know, I think, like you said, it's, it's having that plan. And I think even if, you know, if I was a CEO, I'd be sitting there going, well, I have a team working for me, right? They're there. I'd be carving out some time with them going, okay, this is my strategy. This is what I need. I need to share some content around this. I want to be talking about these things every month. And, you know, and, and I think like rather than like, you know, you see these trends like at the moment, it's become fashionable for CEOs to do like a quarterly video or a monthly video. Um, yeah, okay. But you know what, you could be doing weekly video as well if you want to, you could be doing daily video and it doesn't have to all be really polished. In fact, I love the CEOs who are just as prepared to grab an iPhone and film themselves and you know, talk about something great that's going on or give some recognition to somebody in their organization as I am the guy who's you know, sitting in the boardroom and it's beautifully lit and you, know, you can tell that probably the interview took about four hours and then took somebody another two days to cut down and polish and make it look really pretty. I mean, I have just as much respect for the iPhone guy as I do for the guy who does that. Yeah, it comes back down to, to you know, the story you want to tell, but also uh, the humility with ability type of approach as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But mate, like we're, we're running out of time, but I, I want to, like you've created some awesome gems, which is like amazing. It's going to take me a while for me to edit this now, but, <laughs> um, but, 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 like if I'm, if I'm going to be a content, if I want to be an influencer, I want to be a content creator. Uh, what are three things that I should do tomorrow? Uh, three things. Well, you know, I think one is you need to learn how to become really consistent, right? As an influencer. So important. Um, I think also on top of this, you know, a lot of influencers, you know, they want to just promote every brand on the planet. And, you know, that I don't respect you if you do that. I respect influencers that, you know, their story aligns with the story of the product or the brand that they're promoting. Um, and, you know, when, that, when there is a perfect alignment, that is for me a perfect influencer moment. So, you know, for instance, you know, I did a, a video two years ago now for Red Bull um, where we hooked them up with Utah Lee, who's, you know, a Nike fitness master trainer. Um, that story, perfect alignment. You're talking about two people whose stories actually aligned to tell a story that was very successful because the stories aligned perfectly. Um, you know, and you see, you don't see enough of those moments, you know, and, and for me, you know, if I go onto Instagram and I see that you're promoting Red Bull this week and then you're promoting Celsius the week after, I'm like, yeah, I've just got no reason. For you. So I think being consistent and obviously being, you know, authentic in having stories that are actually, you know, passionate, that you're passionate about that align with you. I think obviously sharing often and always, but with transparency and honesty. Um, I mean, that's again, for me, 
influencers who I respect, like Nas Daily. I mean, I respect him because that guy is, he is himself. I've met him and he is that guy. You know, I met him at VidCon. I'm like, you are literally the guy in the video. There is no, there is no mystery about you. You are that guy. Um, and I want that in an influencer. I want when I meet them that they are that person. Um, you know, because people don't appreciate enough that, you know, when people see you in video a lot, um, they feel like they know you, right? And, you know, I, I found that when we did our video series and we did something like kind of 120 episodes, um, which you can find on YouTube or you can find it on LinkedIn um, or on Facebook. Um, that, that series, like when I would go and meet with people, people who had seen that would be like, oh, you're the guy from that video. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like I'm also the guy who's a creative director who's been doing it for 22 years, but sure, I'll be the guy from the video. And, like, and you're just like you are in that video. So I think that's really important for influencers. I think also my last point from influencers is don't try and be on every platform. You know, like I don't think you need to be on every platform. Be on the platforms that you're good at that are relevant to your audience. I mean, if you if you can build your audience through TikTok, build your audience through TikTok. If you can build it through LinkedIn, build it through LinkedIn. Um, sure, you can build it through LinkedIn and Instagram or LinkedIn and something else, but pick the platform that is the most relevant, spend your most time there. Um, sure, you can be on other platforms, but I think give your most attention to the platform where you get the most success. Um, right. And if you do that, you'll never, you'll never be disappointed because you'll find that it, it works really well. I think where people, you know, fail a lot is they try and be everywhere at once. Um, and that just doesn't work because they're fragmenting too much of their time and they end up recycling content in a bad way where it's, you know, they're not repurposing it to fit the platform. They're just, you know, sharing content across platforms and hoping it's successful. That doesn't work. So, um, yeah. And I think probably my last point is do more than you think. Which, you know, a lot of people find that a strange concept to understand, but you know, doing is really important, right? And, you know, you can spend a lot of time thinking about things, um, building strategies, um, going, oh, I'm going to make this perfect. Like, yeah, okay, you can do that. But, and that's important. But in the end, if you're not doing stuff regularly, people don't care about you. They don't, you know, they're not invested. They just feel like, oh, okay, I'm going to get a piece from Andrew every three months. Okay. You know, like doing is really important. So actually, and, and the problem, you know, too much thinking in a way is it actually prevents you from doing things because you sit there and go, oh, no, well, I'm not going to do this until I've done that. And then you start putting up barriers and you start putting up roadblocks. And then, you know, you find that it's three, four months down the track and you haven't done what you want to do. So if you want to do something, put a milestone and say, okay, I'm going to have it done by this date. Put a timeline together, have a content calendar, get it done, get it done. And you know what? And if it's daily content, get it done. Don't worry about it being perfect because it's daily content. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Everybody else is okay with that too. Um, and you can refine as you go. That's fine. I'd just rather you put it out there and it was you know, interesting and great than you sat in your, you know, your office or your apartment or wherever you are in the world and went, oh, I've got this great idea, but I'm just not ready to share it. I'm going to spend, you know. I mean, there are too many people. I mean, I wrote a whole book called Gunner, which you can find on, a, on Amazon, which is all about people who use words like gunner, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know. Um, you know. That's such an Australian thing, don't you think? It is, but you know, I, I, worked at a whole, I worked at a whole business where it drove me mental with people always talking about, oh, we're gonna do this. And then you know what, whenever they lost an opportunity, it was, 
oh, we should have done this. Or, and I'm like, you know what? No, you're either going to do something or you're not. You know, and if you are going to do something, not going to do something, if you're going to do something, then you've put a timeline in place, you've worked out what you need to do to achieve it, and you're going to go and get it done. Um, the people who just pie in the sky saying, oh, oh yeah, one day I'm going to do they don't do it. They don't do it. Same with people who would have, should have, could have. They just don't do it. you you got to just do it. That's really where it's at. Yep, yep, definitely. Wow. So actually you gave four. So there was a bonus one, which was what you said before, <laughs> which is all good. But guys, thank you so much, Thomas. Thank you so much for, for joining me on this particular episode. Uh, for anyone who's listening, all the show notes and everything like that will be in the description and everything like that. But until the next episode, have a good day. And I'll see you soon.